Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of The Background Scoop. I'm your host, DJ Stavropoulos, part-time background actor here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks so much for tuning in. This episode is primarily about what it's like to play a featured background role, sometimes called a specialty role, as well as playing a role that's almost a principal role, except it has no lines. I cover the complexity of driving your car on set, how driving a manual transmission complicates it, and that it's possible and really nice to teach your friends to drive a stick if they need to for a role. I discuss how complicated scenes with lots of people crossing can be dangerous. I describe the importance of understanding the scene you're in so you don't waste time trying to figure it out on your own, and recognizing that you will be treated differently as your roles become more prominent. Enjoy this, but don't forget who you are and that it's important to treat others as you want to be treated yourself. Finally, I recount a fitting story about a famous Roman emperor and my inability to recognize who I'd be playing before I arrived. I'll get started after the break. It's Friday, August 27th, 2021. I had a crappy day yesterday filming some no-name show about a single person who is a woman and apparently drunk all the time. I won't say the name, but you can probably figure out what the three words are. S-D-F. It was filmed in the center of East Atlanta Village. Background check-in was at the church where I used to get my COVID tests a year ago. It was only five hours and I didn't get used until the very end. Marcus from the First Wives Club was the PA running the scene. Talk about being neglected. I was put into a hair drying chair, one of those things women in curlers sat under in the 1950s in a back room and told to sit there. Um, guys don't really do this. When they started filming the scene, I wasn't even sure if I was in the shot, so I left my mask on. Then two minutes into it, the crew guy across from me motioned me to remove it. Some shows are just downright crappy, and you can tell this pretty quickly from the minute you walk in. However, I did get to catch up with my buddy Joel from Red Notice. Onset Holding was in this decrepit garage with no air conditioning and just three fans trying to keep us cool as we looked across the street to a restaurant called Banshee. One PA was part crossing guard and treated us like children as he insisted on leading us to the crosswalk every time we had to cross the street. More importantly, the day before this, I spent 14 hours on the first lady for the third time. This is block three of season one. Let me just say there's something magical about going back in time. And the further back you go, the more interesting it becomes. I loved block one with Betty Ford in the 70s. I didn't like the Michelle Obama block, but that's because I didn't have a huge role. I must say that going back to 1933 with Eleanor Roosevelt was the best of the three. We all looked amazing, so much so that when Jillian Anderson walked past us for the first time, she pulled out her phone and snapped some photos and mumbled that we looked like we were, quote, on a train to heaven, unquote. I believe the scene has something to do with an affair she was having, but I didn't learn the details until later. I spotted Lily Rave on set and asked someone what role she was playing, and they told me she was the love interest, but then immediately told me that FDR had had an affair before Eleanor did. And this distracted me from the fact that this was two women having an affair with each other, and one of them was the first lady. Scandalous. 
Desmond, whom I had worked with on blocks one and two of this show, was there and happily greeted me in the morning while I was in hair and makeup. He said I would be heavily featured in the first scene. Yay! But it turns out most of us were heavily featured, so I no longer felt special. I warned my first wife, Cheryl, about this so she'd be aware. They soon separated us. Then wife number two was just as easily discarded as they made subsequent decisions about whom to pair with whom. Ashley from Wardrobe was also there and politely asked how my mallet finger was doing, since she was the one who had to cover it up with band-aids back in the spring. I showed her the crooked results. There were a bunch of us walking into the hotel lobby doing crosses and either one stopping at the front desk, two walking to the right, or three walking to the left, and then lots of us were sent back through to reverse our path, probably the most complicated scene I've ever done, primarily because if the timing isn't perfect, you end up crashing into other background, the bellhop's moving luggage cart, or worse, the principal actors who are now standing in your way. By the end of this long scene, Eleanor is in the middle of the lobby, and my wife and I basically have to walk way around her. Speaking of wives, I was on my third one within 20 minutes. They kept switching her out until I ended up with Beth, who was ogling hot men on the set and telling me about it, clearly not aware that I could have been ogling the same exact people. She said she'd been single for the past year, and I nosily asked why. Breakup? Divorce? Widow? Her husband had cheated on her, and they were now divorced. Small world. I didn't offer up my own personal story, but how ironic that she had to sit through this same story about Eleanor Roosevelt. Perhaps she, like most of us, was oblivious to the storyline and had no idea that we were literally walking into the middle of Eleanor Roosevelt's affair at this posh hotel in Washington, D.C. You learn so much about history by doing these jobs. Google it. In the later scene, I got to walk in alone with my briefcase, which looked more like a legal or accounting satchel, as if I were there to represent someone or do some taxes. While carrying my trench coat over my left arm, I had to lift that arm and remove my hat from my head and then put the briefcase down with my right hand as I checked in and got the key to my room at the front desk. I then walked to the right and hid behind curtains near the elevator. I then had a long walk across the back side of the hotel past the concierge returning to the front from the left side and walking out the front door but after a few takes the male ad told me bluntly to not come back out perhaps my pulchritude was too distracting which meant staying hidden by the elevator except that the pa queuing us didn't get this note and kept motioning me to walk it felt odd disobeying him but all i could do was shake my head no until they yelled cut and i had the chance to explain to him that the ad had overridden him my suit was fantastic the only light colored one on set but the heaviest wool i have ever seen think upholstery also we each had a hat but it was up to the designer to decide whether we wore it or carried it she loved the shape of my face and decided i should carry mine a while later, props gave us all glasses to wear. Mine were hexagonal gold frames that did nothing for me because 99% of glasses just looked stupid on my face. When the designer saw them, she told me to take them off. As the night went on, wardrobe gave me a scarf, put the hat on my head, and gave me a trench coat. By 8 p.m., it was thundering outside, and Desmond told us we could not go outside, but I was super jealous of some of the women who were playing on their phones. They had specifically told us to not bring them to set, so I'd left mine upstairs. But you cannot get upstairs without going outside. 
So Beth and I snuck up there. Fortunately, I had no umbrella, but a real trench coat to drape over my head. No one even noticed that we were gone. And then I was wrapped 50 minutes later and home by 10 p.m. Not a bad day for about $450. This show pays very well. And when you add up the two COVID tests and the fitting and the hourly rate, that's good money for just one day of filming. I had to shave my beard off and that was a fiasco. I did this Tuesday afternoon. When I got there Wednesday, they told me I needed to shave off my five o'clock shadow. So they gave me an electric razor, which did nothing. They then gave me a cheap Bic straight razor that doesn't flex across your face's curve, so I ended up cutting my face in about five places. They had to get me a styptic stick. And I'm on the path to going all back again over the next two weeks. I'm back on the resident next week where I haven't been in 18 months after being on it three times. I've only filmed at the fake hospital, but on Mondays they film off set at the High Museum. We're filming in a gentrifying part of town called the West End, so that should be interesting. Luckily, I just got my car back in time because I need it for the shoot. My BMW 5 Series rental was fun for the week, but probably far too uppity for whatever it is we're filming. One more thing about the first lady scene I shot this week. Sometimes you get only a vague description of what's going on in the scene, which makes it hard to really act the way you should. Here's an example. We knew that Eleanor Roosevelt runs into her daughter at this hotel. So I see a 20 something actress standing there with a seven year old girl and a little boy who's about three or four. So I think to myself, these are her three children. Eleanor looks old enough to be the grandmother of all of them. And there's a nanny with them. Okay. There's clearly an age gap here. The 20-something is supposed to be a 12-year-old who has two siblings several years younger than her. It all seemed off somehow. My wife for the scene, Beth, kept telling me to look at that too on the back of the 20-something's neck, but I never did see it. She thought that was weird for such a young girl to have and told me that her own daughter didn't get a tattoo until she was 17. She then proceeded to explain that sometimes they hire an older actress to play a younger character, like a 20-something who looks very young to play a 12-year-old. I found out later she was totally wrong. The little boy began crying uncontrollably in the morning, so his dad took him off set and we never saw him again. In the meantime, since I have connections, I later cornered my friend Kaylee, who is the stand-in for the older daughter, Anna. We got this totally wrong. The 20-something actress was actually playing Eleanor's 30-year-old daughter, and the two kids were her children, not Eleanor's. They were Eleanor Roosevelt's grandchildren. Now it all made sense. Why couldn't they just communicate this to us right up front? How many other background wasted their time and energy trying to figure this out? The moral of the story is, if you can't figure out what's happening in front of you, ask a PA. They should know and they should tell you, but most of the time you actually have to ask. By the way, I also know the stand-in for Eleanor herself. It's my friend Meredith from Red Notice. And they want Kaylee to body double for Anna driving an old stick shift truck in a few weeks, but she doesn't know how. So she asked me to teach her. And I said, yes, lesson one is tomorrow morning in a parking lot in Decatur, Georgia. We'll see how good a teacher I am and how quick a learner she is. Oh, and I just got booked on a new production called Till, T-I-L-L -L, for mid-September. Good grief. 
they will want me to shave my beard all over again just a few weeks from now. It's becoming a facial hair seesaw. One day it's on, the next day it's off. I have never been booked through the new Casted website, but now I have. TaylorMade Casting is the booking company, but they use this site to provide the details, allow you to apply, and confirm your booking. That's www.casted.app. C-A-S-T-E-D. This is a relatively new site that I'm now using to check on bookings, so check it out. Not a ton of bookings there just yet, but it's catching on. It's Monday, August 30th, 2021, about 10 to 4 p.m. I'm filming down on the West End today, and as usual, it just started to rain, and there's a lightning strike, so we're all sitting in our cars for the next 30 minutes. Um, I've never really used my car on set. Well, that's not true. My second day, two years ago when I was working, I was driving my car through a parking lot, but this particular scene is a lot more complicated because it's a traffic jam, and there's probably at least 20 of us background in our cars, and it takes so much to move these around and get them situated and get us where we need to be and turn our cars on and turn them off and put our feet on the brakes so our brake lights are on and what have you. So I will probably do a real segment on this just explaining the details, but uh, it's uh, it's quite a complicated uh, logistical uh, thing to pull off. So <clears throat> next time you see cars, in a TV show or movie, know that it, it takes a lot to pull that off. It's Tuesday, August 31st, 2021, the day after my driving gig on The Resident Season 5. As you may have seen, the lead character played by Malcolm Jamal Warner drives this beautiful gold Mercedes, probably a 1975 model, as Cameron has a green one that looks just like it. This was a totally new experience for me, and here's some good information to know about bringing your car to a filming. It's definitely a different ball of wax. Number one, you get a car bump. It's typically something piddly, like $25, and definitely not worth it for all the extra work you have to do, plus the added risk of your car getting damaged and your insurance having to cover it, not to mention the deductible you may have to pay. While parked in the middle of the road for hours, we had crew vehicles driving like maniacs on the wrong side of the road on our right, and I kept thinking to myself, if someone hits my car, I'm going to lose it. I felt like I was in London. Two, you're not the actor, your car is. Your vehicle is basically a puppet, and you are the puppet master. So your job is to make the car do whatever they tell you. That includes putting it into the middle of a massive traffic jam and pressing on the brake for hours at a time. After a while, your right foot gets tired and you start to use your left one. Three, communicating with 20 background actors in their cars is not easy. They gave us all walkie-talkies so we could receive instructions on what to do except we couldn't use them to communicate back to them. It was like one big live messaging app that allowed us to hear our instructions, but it also allowed us to hear everything else that was going on. And that included arguments and snarky comments between people. When I had a question, I literally had to jump out of my car and find a PA or someone to ask it. Four, you will get tired and hot. It was in the mid eighties yesterday, sitting in your air conditioned 
car sounds like fun until they tell you to turn it off due to all the noise it's making. And then it gets hot and you're told you can open the windows to get some air in. But that air is just as hot. Needless to say, their shirt on me was all sweaty by midday, and that's not something they had accounted for. Five, you can basically do whatever you want in your car. I was listening to podcasts and then making silly Instagram reels of what was happening in my car. When they yelled action, I had to pull on my sunglasses and pretend to be in a traffic jam. At one point, we got to roll down our windows and take fake pictures. We were told by Carla to not photograph anything for real because we didn't have the rights to do this on set. And six, if you drive a stick, you may find yourself shifting a lot as you move your car forward and backward. And since there may not be enough room to turn around, be prepared to back up your car and drive it down the road backwards every time they yell reset. Speaking of this, I couldn't help but think about my friend Kaylee, whom I taught how to drive stick this past Sunday for her role in The First Lady. She was particularly fearful of driving in reverse, because unlike driving forward, you pretty much have to stop the car as soon as it's moved as far backward as you want. Another warning, beware of large concrete curbs and parking lots. I backed into one yesterday morning as we all got in our cars and began lining up to drive to set. I'll think long and hard about signing my car for another background gig. Since it doesn't talk, I'm not sure how much it enjoyed the work, and my own feelings are on the fence. Come to think of it, had my car work not been finished on time, I would have done this in a black BMW 5 Series, and that probably would have been more fun. Till got hosed today, so that's not happening anymore, but I did get booked on Ordinary Joe this Friday. It premieres on NBC on September 20th. I hope it's good. As does the Wonder Years, I keep seeing the preview, which includes parts of the baseball scene I was in, but so far, I am nowhere to be found. It's Sunday, September 12th, 2021. Yes, yesterday was the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks. You probably don't know this, but I worked on Wall Street for 10 years and walking through the Twin Towers was part of my daily commute. But I left New York five years before this happened. Given my personal connection and knowledge of how massive the buildings were, I was more impacted than the average person who's never been there. Unlike prior years, I sat around watching live news and documentaries about the event. My favorites? a National Geographic documentary called 9-11, One Day in America, and something called Memory Box, Memories of 9-11. I have no topic for this section, but I had to report on the roller coaster of bookings over these past two weeks. I had to cancel Ordinary Joe last Friday because guess what? Around holidays, all the dog boarding facilities are booked solid. So I spent a good hour calling a bunch of places, but found no vacancies. So I had no place to put sugar. Then Central called again to see if I could work the same show, same answer. So I haven't been able to work the entire week before Labor Day and the entire week after. Meanwhile, Central asked me if I could do Ozark two days this week. I responded immediately and had my fingers crossed. I haven't had any luck with this show lately, but would love to be on the final season. Ozark did not pan out after all. I got released without ever getting officially booked. Speaking of final season, I binge watched Manifest this past weekend, all of season two, and have one more to go. Fans complained about the show's cancellation, and in response, Netflix has agreed to do a fourth season. 
I ended up with three conflicting bookings this coming week. One day as a pilot on Monarch, a new NBC show with Susan Sarandon, but I had to cancel with central casting due to a death in the family. I felt really bad that TaylorMade Casting spent a whole day reconfirming my availability for a director-selected role on on a wing and a prayer. I got picked, but the family death caused me to decline this offer. However, I am booked for three days back on The Wonder Years. Super excited. The show premieres on ABC on September 22nd, and I'm dying to see if I actually appear in the baseball scene. I played the white team's coach. The preview shows the game, but not me. We'll see. I'm not one of those people that tells the world to watch, only to be embarrassed if I never appear. If I show up in the pilot, then I will let people know, and they can find a way to watch it after it's aired. It's Saturday, September 18th, 2021. I finished my second stint on The Wonder Years this week. It was three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. I ran into Deborah. I mentioned her in episode five. She was my dynasty date back in 2019. Her name is actually Linda. All those duh names confused me. She finally came up to me to ask if it was me. Yes. No big learnings from this experience. We shot at the old city hall in East Point. Look for a clerk in a pumpkin shirt in episode five. That's me. I did spot some interdepartmental mail envelopes that were on a mail card as a prop. These have been around forever. They're 9 by 12 manila envelopes that businesses use to send snail mail within the company. They're reusable. You just write the name, department, and location of the recipient on the outside and wrap the red string around the circular thing at the end to keep it closed. I just laughed since I haven't seen these since 1996 when I left JP Morgan. I have no idea what I was sending around to other people. Isn't everything electronic now? My prop for the first two days was a briefcase, but on day three, my prop was my left hand. I was told to put it in my pocket as I walked past the break room. As I've mentioned in the past, the more days you work with people, the more you bond with them. So as we emptied out of the van on Friday night, it was a collective, nice meeting you, see you next time, kind of goodbye. Kelly from the Underground Railroad was there, as was Stephanie from Dynasty and The Staircase. And I met Wesley, Greg, David, Skip, Brandy, and Kim. I've said this before and will say it again. Don't book multiple gigs on consecutive days because you don't know when each will start and end. I worked until 11.30 p.m. Wednesday night, then had to go to another job at 3.30 Thursday afternoon and work until 2 a.m. Friday, and then after six hours of sleep, go back to the first job at 12.30 until 10 p.m. Not a great week for sleep, and I hate being tired and cranky. Someone I met got an availability inquiry from Central Casting to shoot the series finale of Ozark, a black tie affair to be directed by Jason Bateman. I didn't get asked, so I called them and left a message for Elizabeth, but I never heard back. Regardless of what you want to work on, realize that you will get asked to do everything and that you can't possibly make yourself available to do everything you'd like to. I'm definitely back to following my rule of only one job per week. Poor Sugar was boarded for the past four days. I'm excited to see the premiere of The Wonder Years next Wednesday, and I hope I actually appear in the episode since I played one of the baseball coaches. And I've already told everyone and their mother to watch it on Facebook nonetheless. 
It's still Saturday, September 17th, and I have more to report. I applied for something a few weeks ago, not through a casting company, but directly with a production. The email was SBF Extras Casting. I had no idea what this was. Then I got a call a week later from someone named Tokyo who casts the background roles. He said the director loved my look and that they wanted to confirm my availability. I said yes, even though they gave me no dates. I looked this up on IMDb and found multiple entries from the past, but nothing about the current production. The role was considered a featured background role, and since I'd done these before, I thought I knew what it was, but it turned out to be a lot more. Here's what I learned. I've been describing background acting as the polar opposite of principal acting. Think of a spectrum or a horizontal line with background on the left and principal on the right. They are miles apart with a vast emptiness between them. Background acting is very different from what principal actors do. But what exactly happens in that space between them? Is it really this black and white with nothing in between? No, it's not. For one, I've described a featured background as being more than just background acting. Think of it as something a little closer to the right on this spectrum, maybe one third the distance from the left to the right. The key difference is that featured background, our scene, may interact with the principal actors and may even appear in the credits as waitress one or concierge or whatever. But what about the same thing happening from the principal end of this spectrum? In other words, what would move a principal role away from that end and move it closer to the background end? What one thing could you do to a principal role that would no longer make it a principal role? Simple. Take away the lines. I had no idea this even existed, but it's exactly what I had signed up for. I learned from the casting guide that this was originally a principal actor role with lines, but they downgraded it by removing the lines. Because they were calling it featured background, I just assumed it would be similar to what I'd done before, but it wasn't. Instead, it was basically a principal role just without lines. People told me the key reason for doing this is to save money because it's much cheaper to have a background person do this than pay a principal actor with lines. I was in the scene acting with the principal actors. They were talking to me. They were touching me. I was touching them. They were expressing emotions. I was expressing emotions. The only thing I wasn't doing was talking. Just before we started rehearsing, the PA brought over the sides and ran me through the script in about 20 seconds. I felt cheated because I wanted my own copy to study before we started. I like to be overprepared. Instead, I just kind of worried because it all happened really fast and I wasn't even sure who was who and who I was going to be interacting with, but it all flushed out in the rehearsal. We did only two to three takes of the scene with the first set of cameras, and the only feedback I got was to try it with a more militaristic demeanor. In other words, less touchy-feely and more straight to the point, which I did. Since I've never done this before and don't think I've consciously witnessed it on screen, I foresee one of two possible outcomes. One, it will look ridiculous, and viewers will be asking themselves, why is this guy not saying anything? Who comes to a funeral, interrupts a conversation, and doesn't say anything when spoken to? Or, two, it will be seamless and natural, and anyone watching won't even notice that the guy doesn't say anything, because everything he needs to communicate, he's doing with his body, gestures, and face. 
no words needed. I hope it's the second. I'm going back next week for one more day of shooting. I also learned that when you're featured, you can't be used in other scenes as a regular background person because it won't make any sense. Your character has already been established and people will wonder why you're suddenly randomly appearing elsewhere. It's like seeing Santa Claus in a movie and then five minutes later, He's at Wells Fargo taking money out at an ATM when a bank robber sticks up the place and asks the teller to hand over all the money. Makes no sense. What is Santa Claus doing there? Long story short, I wasn't used after 10 p.m. and filming went on until 2 a.m. Not fun. Plus, instead of having us complete paperwork up front, they handed it to us at 1 a.m. and asked us to fill it out on a table outside lit only by the headlights of a pickup truck. I didn't have my glasses, so this was difficult. Overall, this experience brought me one step closer to a principal role. All I need now is to get some lines. It's Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. I'm recording this now, although it doesn't film for a few months. It's a Disney project. It pays a lot more than usual because it's a specialty role. The woman at Alessi Hardigan Casting said they want me to play Caesar, and there's only one of you. No dates just yet, just filming in November and January. I'm not sure if it's just this particular person, but I am feeling like I'm being treated very differently for this role, as if the closer to being a principal you are, the better better treatment you get. It reminds me of shopping at Macy's when I first moved to Atlanta. When you go there directly from work in a suit, the salespeople treat you as if you're somehow better than a person who shops in casual clothes. This was the same kind of feeling. My belief is that all people are equal and should be treated the same regardless of who they are. Which reminds me of when Bloomingdale's flagship store in New York announced that it was okay to shop with your dog. So I immediately took my Whippet Madeline to the local Bloomingdale's at Perimeter Mall and went shopping. Everyone stared at me like I was from Mars, but none of the salespeople asked me to remove my dog. There must have been a memo circulated that said it was okay in all of their stores. I didn't buy anything or intend to. I just wanted to bring my dog into Bloomingdale's because I could. The big news yesterday was that there would be a, quote, drive-on with my name, unquote. I wasn't sure, but I assumed that a drive-on is a sign with my name at a parking spot where I was to park. Security said yes, this was special treatment. The last time I was there, I had to park in a lot across the street and lug all my outfits with me for a 10-minute walk. I was all ready to take a picture of my name on the sign today when I got there, but there was nothing there when I arrived. Instead, there were two people in the parking lot to greet me and usher me in to complete the paperwork and get fitted. Almost as good. I both tested and fitted for this movie this week down at Trillith, which suggests the filming will be down there as well. My greeters whisked me away to enclosed area where two men helped me into the costumes. No changing room. Just take your clothes off here in front of complete strangers and act like it's normal. So I was too stupid to realize that when she said Caesar, she meant the one and only Caesar, Julius Caesar. And we all know that he dresses like a Roman gladiator, which made sense when I saw the clothing. Two outfits. The first thing I put on was basically a red dress, but then I realized that was just the first layer. Over this went a red leather dress with lots of very wide fringe at the bottom from my waist to my thighs. I put on the gold sandals with horizontal and vertical strips running up to my knees and closed the five clasps on these. Then came the final layer, the metal. A chest plate, 
forearm things, and metal things covering the bottoms of my legs. I'm sure there are technical terms for all of these. And then the crown on my head, it was all super heavy, and I kept thinking, how am I going to pee in this? Maybe I should have asked to see the costume before accepting the job. Would that be a normal request? Am I going to be outside dressed like this? They took pictures from all angles before I undressed and put on the next outfit. This was even more hilarious. A very wide and flowing muumuu type tan robe thing. And then over it, we draped a heavy red cape that clasped together on my right shoulder. But there was all this extra fabric that I'm supposed to carry around on my left arm. I should have handed them my camera and said, now take some for me. I have no idea what this looked like because they never have mirrors there. And there's a reason. They don't want people looking at themselves because that just makes the process take longer. I came across something recently on the internet that referred to Atlanta not as Yollywood, but instead as Attlewood. That's capital A-T-L-W, followed by lowercase O-O-D. I like this much better because most people here don't say y'all, since most people here are not from here. Also, a few years back, I had coined the terms New Addle and Old Addle to distinguish the newer parts of Atlanta outside the perimeter from the city proper inside the perimeter. So instead of using OTP and ITP, I liked the ring of New Addle and Old Addle so much more, but it never really caught on. Perhaps Addle will, will do the trick. If you like the sound of it, refer to Atlanta this way going forward. It's Friday, September 24th, 2021. I finished day two of my Lifetime movie yesterday. Just a few points I want to relay about this. One, I was totally stressed because last week we were there until 2 a.m. This week, the call time was three hours later. It was 7 p.m., then 5 p.m., then 6 p.m. So I added 12 hours to this and assumed we might be there until 6 a.m. I even heard rumors on set that we'd be there at least until 4 or 5. I hate working all night. I texted the casting guy the day before and asked if it was an overnight. He said perhaps, but also that my scene was expected to finish by 10 p.m. and that they might let me leave early. So there was hope, unlike last week when I finished at 10 but sat around bored for another 4 hours. At 9 p.m. we finished the scene and the PA wrapped me. It was like a snow day. It's so exciting when the unexpected happens and you work only three hours instead of 12 or more. But this rarely happens. When it does, it compensates for all the really long and or overnight days. If I add the two days together, it was 13 hours of filming, which averages to be only six and a half per day. Two, the only thing worse than staying up all night is doing so in an environment that's not great. We were filming in a nightclub, so it was fake, smoky, and loud to the point that we could not hear those directing the scene and barely each other. I don't really enjoy nightclubs in the real world, so filming in one wasn't very appealing to me. Three, sometimes your colleagues will ignore you, but don't take it personally. The woman paired with me would barely say two words because she was focused on the person who was cueing her. At first, she was just walking away from our table, but then they told her to flirtatiously touch my arm. My job was to brush her off because I was laser focused on someone else in the room. And four, as usual, I wore my best outfit and brought two others. They loved my suit. At the last minute, I took off my black knit polo and replaced it with a French blue dress shirt and blue suede shoes, but when they saw the black, they had me wear that instead. 
If you do a really good job dressing yourself, they appreciate it, and you don't have to worry about returning anything to wardrobe at the end of the night. Wednesday night was a double header for me. I watched two shows and appeared twice in each of them. The Wonder Years episode one was really cute. I'm clearly seen shaking Coach's Long's hand at the start of the game, and then again walking away with the crowd of parents when the news of MLK's assassination breaks. Pumpkin pants, white t-shirt, and a navy blue windbreaker. Speaking of pumpkin, I'll be looking for myself again in episode 5 in a shirt that same color. And then I watched season 11 episode 5 of The Walking Dead. I ended up appearing as a quote walker unquote but not the dead kind. There's a scene in a train station where they show me and no one else simply walking on the second level from left to right with some really creepy music. And then later, as the main actress and her brother are catching up at a cafe table outside, you can see me in my farmer jeans and red plaid shirt lumbering around in the background. My sister made it clear that the overalls really add pounds. My ass looks huge in them, so I won't be wearing them in public anytime soon. As a means of recapping, here are some highlights from this episode. One, a featured background or specialty role is more than just background because you'll be seen. If you're doing everything but speaking with the other principals, that's even better. I'm calling this a mute principal, which is not an industry term. Two, bringing your car to set means your car is the background actor and you are the puppet master behind it. Be prepared to work a lot to get this right. Three, similar to driving cars, sometimes there will be a lot of people crossing in a scene and it's impossible to plan out everyone's exact steps. So be prepared to improvise if it appears you're going to crash into someone or something. Four, you're usually not told what's going on in a scene, so if it doesn't make sense, ask the PA to at least describe it and or read a page of the script to the group so you all understand what's going on. Five, when someone casts you to play a character with a single name, like Cher or Prince or Madonna, be smart enough to assume that that is who you're playing, so you're not surprised when you go in for a fitting. And if you don't like the costume they put you in, too bad. If your masculinity is so fragile that you can't wear a gladiator skirt, then maybe you're not cut out for acting. And finally, know that as you get progressively better roles, you may notice that casting and the crew is treating you differently. Enjoy the experience, but never let it get to your head. I saw myself for a fifth time this week, Doom Patrol Season 3, Episode 2, entitled Vacay Patrol. When the dining room doors open, I'm sitting at the very first table on the left, and then later, when the red man recites the punchline in English, he is blocking me until we all start laughing and then you can see a bit of my head to the right of his. The flow of this scene is wonderful. The way the camera moves and the background move throughout it, it came out very hazy, although the room was crystal clear when we filmed. I guess there was some type of filter on the lens. I'm working two days this week, one day on that TV show Atlanta, and one day on the series and season finale of Ozark, so it'll be thrilling to see Jason Bateman directing this. Special thanks to Sherry, Jamal, Keith, Sean, and Tokyo for their support on the Lifetime movie. They'll never hear this, but if they do, I appreciate you guys. 
There's a lot of stuff going on in the industry this week, and there may be a strike coming around October 1st, which is next Friday, so we'll have to see what happens. If there's one thing I've learned in this industry, people aren't always treated well, and unions play a huge role in providing better working conditions for those in the industry, so I'm all for them. But I heard on Facebook this week that Tyler Perry is against Georgia workers unionizing. I'm not trying to spread rumors, so all I'm saying is that I saw this on Facebook. Like much of what's out there, do not blindly believe it's true. That's all for this episode. Tune in again for more of the Background Scoop, where I discuss background acting here in Atlanta. Hope you're learning and getting some BG roles of your own. Feel free to reach out with your questions, which I'll try to answer in a future episode, or tell me a story about your own experience, and I may choose to interview you. See the episode notes for how to reach out. And if you like what you've heard, please rate the podcast. Thanks for listening.